Well, good morning, folks, once again. Before we look at this text together, let's have a time of prayer. Let's pray now. Father God, as we come together now to study your word, we pray and ask for you to intercede for us at this time. Grant us all the gift of understanding. Use me, have my words be your words. Allow this time together to be glorifying to you and allow it to be encouraging and challenging to all of us here today. It's in your holy, almighty, sovereign, majestic name that we pray. Amen. Amen. In your copy of God's Word, please turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, and chapter 1. We're looking at John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 18. That's John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. This is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I wonder if this situation that I'm about to describe sounds familiar to you. You're sitting in front of a blank computer screen or a blank piece of paper, and you have a task to do. Whether that is homework, whether that is an essay, a report, a letter, a sermon maybe, whatever it is. And you have this blank screen or this blank piece of paper, and you ask yourself that very simple question. What am I actually going to write here? What is my introduction going to be? Because introductions, they matter, don't they? I mean, it's the difference between going to your doctor and them saying, hello there, my name is Dr. Josh. I'm going to be operating on you today. You're actually my first patient that I've ever uh, operated on. You know, I'm honestly really kind of nervous and scared to be doing this, but I'm sure we'll be fine. 
It's the difference between that and hello there. My name is Dr. Joshua David Orr. I'm going to be operating on you today. You have nothing to worry about. This is a standard procedure I've done many times before. It'll be fine. Now, you might be wondering what fictional world we live in where that second introduction actually happens. But regardless, you may still be nervous, but this second introduction is far better than this first introduction because introductions matter. And today we have read together the introduction to a particular book, not just any old book, but we have read the introduction to the Gospel of John, the prologue. Perhaps one of the most well-known books of the Bible to both Christians and non-Christians alike. There's so much in this book that is known to so many different people. Arguably, there's the most well-known Bible verse of all time, John chapter 3, verse 16. There's the famous I am sayings, the number of different accounts of Jesus and his miracles, his parables, his sayings. We read like in the other Gospels, the account of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And it all begins here in chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. The author of this book, the beloved apostle, the beloved disciple John, he wrote this book for a number of different reasons, but I think one of, if not the main reasons why John wrote this book was to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? Not who was Jesus Christ, but rather who is Jesus Christ. You see, John wasn't claiming that Jesus was just a good teacher or a good example to follow. He wasn't even claiming that he was one way of getting into heaven or getting eternal life. No, John is saying that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way for us to experience eternal life. But before he gets into all of that, he starts off in chapter 1, and he begins by answering this question of who is Jesus Christ, and he does this, John does, by describing Jesus in three different ways. John describes Jesus as, from verses 1 to 3, the eternal word, then secondly as the true light from verses 4 to 13, and then thirdly as the incarnate man, verses 14 to 18. And we'll begin by first looking at Jesus Christ, the eternal word. Verses 1 to 3 of John chapter 1, the words are up on the screen there. Now let's just begin by immediately establishing the fact that the word that is being talked about here in this passage is actually Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word. How do we know that for a fact? How do we know that John, the writer of this passage, is talking about Jesus? Well, because he says so in verse 17. Skip ahead to that verse and see what it says. It says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. And if you're still feeling conflicted about that in any way, we can look at verses 6 to 8 where it talks about a witness named John. This is not the same John that is writing this gospel. This is talking about John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. It talks about John the Baptist, how he came to bear witness about this light. And what do we see in the verses immediately following our passage? Well, we find the account and testimony of John the Baptist. We read about the baptism of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God descending like a dove from heaven above. We read in the Gospel of Luke that there was a voice from heaven that said, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And after all of this happened with Christ, 
to reiterate that point, John the Baptist, he says about Jesus, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Talking about Jesus. Jesus is the undeniable main focus and subject of this passage. But then a question comes up, doesn't it? Jesus is called the Word. What does that actually mean? Why is he called the Word? Well, the Word itself is in Greek, the Greek term is logos, and back in the day in the first century, that would have held a wide range of different meanings for different audiences. And the fact that John, the writer of this book, was writing to both a Greek and Jewish audience, well then that would have meant that to both audiences it would have had different meanings. But for us today, let's look at the significance it would have held for the Jewish audience, because I think that's what's most beneficial to us. You see, John's opening words that we have read That first opening phrase, in the beginning, for the Jewish audience, and for us familiar with the Old Testament, would click our minds immediately back to Genesis chapter 1. Both Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1 begins with the phrase, in the beginning. And going back to Genesis 1, to the account of creation, we see that through the word, the word of God, through God speaking, the word, the world was created. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be land. God said, let there be animals, let there be grass, let there be sky, let there be sea, let there be humanity. God spoke, and it was so. And then Psalm chapter 33, verse 6 says that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So the fact that John is referring to Jesus here as the word is causing them to think of Christ in this way as an agent of creation, as a means for God to carry out his creative works. But more than that, To the Jewish audience in the Old Testament, the word of God is also an expression for God himself. And this is reinforced in John. John says that the word was there from the beginning. The word was with God. More than that, the word was God. He, the word Jesus, was in the beginning with God, verse 2, and all things were made through him, verse 3. So much is revealed about Jesus Christ in such a short number of verses. And so many things are made clear about Jesus. We've learned from these opening verses that Jesus, he shares God's eternity. God has no beginner or end, and Jesus has no beginning or end. Furthermore, we learned that Jesus was eternally with God, and that Jesus Christ is also one with God. We get a sense of Jesus' creative power, his authority, his supremacy, his centrality to all things, all from these opening three verses. But what are we to do with this information? How are we to respond to this? Well, I would say that if Jesus Christ is God's son, and all evidence points to that fact, if Jesus is God's son, then he should be worshipped in the same way as God should be worshipped. And we see this in scripture. But more than that, he needs to be worshipped as the way he is portrayed in the Bible, in its entirety. Jesus is not to be constrained or molded or shaped into what we would like to worship. This is for non-Christians primarily, but there are some Christians who need to hear this as well. So often we can twist Jesus in order to fit our narrative or what we would like to worship. 
In today's culture, somewhat, somewhat a Diet Coke version of Jesus Christ. We want to follow the example of some kind, you know, look towards a positive role model. And Jesus, the man, the teacher, that wise guy from the Middle East, oh yeah, he seems to fit that mold perfectly. Let's just focus on his love and his caring nature and his love for all of humanity. And let's use that to fit our narrative. And don't misunderstand me. Jesus Christ loves humanity. This is undeniable. Jesus Christ, he came into the world to die for sinners, or in other words, for everyone. But he is also the son of God. Jesus Christ isn't just a self-help guru. Jesus Christ isn't just someone who you can just post a wee quote of on on Instagram or Facebook whenever it suits you. You don't get to cherry pick what parts of Jesus Christ you like and then disregard the rest. No, Jesus Christ is the son of Almighty God, of God the Father. He has authority over creation and his relationship with God the Father. Before you were born, Jesus was so. Before this town was created, Jesus was so. Before the very foundations of this universe came into existence, Jesus was so. Jesus wasn't just another man. He was and is the Son of God, and he is worthy of our worship. And so what is your response? What's your reaction to that? How does the fact that Jesus is the Son of God affect your daily life? Does it change anything? Because it should. It should change how you live day by day. Because if Jesus Christ, if he is the son of God, and if he is worthy of our worship, then we should try and model our lives after his example. We should aim to be Christ-like, patient, to be loving and kind. And even more than that, if Jesus is worthy to be praised, if he is the son of God, then he needs to be above everything else in our lives. It's not a case of not loving our friends or our family or whatever, but it's the case of allowing our love for Christ to trickle down into the way that we interact with other people. Help that family member in need. Meet with that friend who's going through a difficult time and pray for them. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that means that he is above all other beliefs or faiths or religions because the worship of Jesus Christ leaves no room for any of that. And that actually takes us nicely onto our next point. And I know I labored on that first point. Don't worry, we won't do the same for the other verses. But our next point is of Jesus Christ, the true light, from verses 4 to 13 of John chapter 1. I'm not going to focus in on verses 4 and 5 at this time. We'll go back to them later on. But what we'll take with us for now is that we are told here that Jesus has life, and this life was the light for men. Earlier on in the week there, I was driving back down from Antrim, and I was going through the back roads just past Carrickfergus to my house. It was around 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and so obviously it was, it was dark. And when I say it was dark, I mean there was no lights, there was no anything, it was pitch black. It was just the light from my car. I felt like I was, I was in a horror movie. <laughs> it was terrifying. And I needed the light from my car in order to see, right? I mean, obviously. I mean, there were houses that were scattered off into the distance, but I wasn't going to navigate my way home by using the light from them. I wasn't even going to use my indicators as lights, or else that would have ended me in a ditch somewhere. I needed my car lights, because my car lights, my beams were the true source of light, 
and they were going to help me get home. And in a much more significant way, in a much bigger way, that's what Jesus Christ is like for us. Jesus Christ, as verse 9 describes him as, is our true light that gives light to everyone. Verses 6 to 8 enforce the fact that Jesus is the only true light because here, John, the writer of the gospel, says that there was a witness to the light named John the Baptist, but he makes it very clear that John the Baptist wasn't the true light. No, that was Jesus. And then verses 9, 10, 11 tell us that this true light came into the world that he made, and yet the world did not know him, and his own people did not receive him. We live in a very interesting world, don't we? It's an understatement of the century. It's a very diverse world. We're now more connected than ever before, thanks to online means. We're exposed to so many different things, so many different cultures, so many different worldviews, and so many different beliefs. And in today's world, you can get to heaven in a number of ways, through any religion, by being a good person. You don't even have to be a good person necessarily. But if you have friends or family or people supporting you, then that means you'll be in heaven. This isn't what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the true light. John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's a very divisive message in today's world, isn't it? And this causes the world to push back against God, the true God, the God of Christianity, and through accusations and challenges against him, they'll try and challenge God. If only God would appear and set things right, then I would believe him. If I was shown a sign, if he performed a miracle, I would then believe. If Jesus came back today, sure I'd believe him. Verses 10 and 11 actually help us in this, and they show us something very interesting. John says the world did not know Jesus, and his own people, Israel, did not receive him. Israel rejected Christ, and that is massive. Why? Well, the Messiah who they had been looking for, who they had been waiting for for generations, who was going to come and who was going to come and save them, they rejected him. Why? Well, because most of them wanted a warrior king to come in and, you know, overthrow the Roman Empire and restore the land. And instead, what did they get? They got a man on a donkey talking to tax collectors, lepers, and sinners. They got a carpenter's son from Galilee. Furthermore, he ruffled feathers. He didn't meet people's expectations. He wasn't what they were expecting. He was countercultural. He did things that no one expected him to do. And what this shows us is that if Jesus were to come back today, not in the manner of his glorious second coming, but hypothetically, if he came back in the way he did as his first coming, if Jesus was to come back today, He would be crucified all over again. (laughs) Because that's what we see. Despite all that Jesus did and said and taught, people still didn't believe. That's how hard our hearts are. If Jesus came back in that same way today, and we here in Carrick Baptist were here and he came and appeared before us, what would your reaction be? Generally, what would it be? I'm not accusing anyone, by the way. I'm just asking, deep down, really, how would you react? Would you reject him? Or 
would you accept him just like the people in verses 12 and 13? Verses 12 and 13 say, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'm never going to apologize for saying that Jesus Christ is the only way. In fact, I'm so glad and happy and privileged that I'm able to come up here today and say that in this way because there is such incredible hope for us that comes from that truth. Because all these other places, all of these other beliefs, they aren't as good as Jesus Christ. They don't offer the same hope, the same blessed assurance, the same love and care and purpose that Jesus Christ offers. Jesus Christ is who he says he is. That's what these verses reveal to us. He is the true light and this tremendous hope that Jesus brings. Well, let's look at that tremendous hope in our last point. Because this hope is fully realized in Jesus Christ, the incarnate man. This word, this true light, Jesus became an incarnate man, or in other words, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humbled himself and was sent by God the Father into the world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became human. And that word flesh is just... Wow. Um, Why does John, the writer of this gospel, not use a different word, like body or man or human even? Why that word flesh? Well, because it represents and stands for, as Milne puts it, the whole person. He says it refers to human existence in all of its frailty and vulnerability and weakness while still remaining 100% the Son of God, co-equal with God the Father, Jesus Christ became human with all that entails. The emotions, the pains, the joy, the sadness, the grief, the laughter. Jesus has felt all of these emotions and not only did he become flesh, but he dwelt among us. He went to weddings. He went to the temple. He went to people's houses. He ate dinner with them. He went to graves. He talked with all types of people from all walks of life, from soldiers to tax collectors to high-ranking government officials to religious leaders to fishermen. And from him, as verse 16 says, comes grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That in itself is such an amazing verse. Because this verse, verse 17, it's talking about two aspects of God's nature that he uses in dealing with us, the law and grace. God's law and God's mercy. Moses emphasized the law whilst Jesus came to fulfill that law through grace, love, faithfulness, and forgiveness. Rather than God's revelation being revealed in cold stone tablets, it now comes through a person's life, through Jesus Christ who came in the flesh and who dwelt among us. And as we get to know of Christ more, our understanding of God will increase. But after all of that, we're still left with one question. Why? Why did Jesus come down into the world in the first place? Well, at this point, we'll return to verses four and five because those verses say, in Jesus was life and that was the light of men which the darkness could not overcome. This darkness that's being talked about is our darkness. 
It's the darkness of sin. It's the darkness that we have brought into the world. It's the way we corrupted God's original design and creation. We brought death into the world. We brought destruction into the world. We brought suffering into the world. And from that, we deserve punishment from God. And yet, despite this, God didn't give up on us. He still loved us. He still loves us. So much so that he sent Jesus into the world and Jesus willingly went to the cross in order to die for us. Jesus' hands and feet were nailed to a cross of wood. This was after Jesus had been whipped, beaten on, spat at. This was after he was forced to carry his own cross that he was going to die on. This was after he was forced to wear a crown of thorns used in order to mock him. But above all of this, Jesus suffered rejection from his own father. Above the physical pain came the emotional suffering of being rejected by his father because God, holy God, he looked at his son and instead of seeing his perfection, he saw our sin instead. The pain and weight of our sin was laid on Jesus Christ and on that cross he died. Folks, there's a choice to be made about Jesus Christ. You have a choice to make about Jesus Christ. Some of us already made that choice. You've got to decide who Jesus is. You have to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? And we've only got three options, as C.S. Lewis puts it. Jesus Christ is either God, a lunatic, or an evil man. He's one of those three. He isn't a lunatic. If he was, he would have been quickly exposed. His miracles would have been able to be disproven. He would have been completely ridiculed by everyone. But he didn't, and he wasn't, so he's no lunatic. And so then we're left with the choice of two. Either Jesus is God, or he's an evil man. And then so the question becomes, why would an evil man willingly die for you and me? Why would he die for Paul, a killing crusader of Christians? Why would he die for King David, a man who killed, lied, committed adultery, coveted, even stole another man's wife? Why would he die for Moses, who killed an Egyptian taskmaster? Or Tamar, who dressed as a prostitute in order to coerce her father-in-law, Judah, to conceive twins together? Or for Simon Peter, who turned his back on Jesus and denied him three times? Why would an evil man willingly die for you and me, for the hateful things that we have done, said, or thought? For those dark, shadowy things that we keep to the back of our minds? Why would an evil man do that? Because he wasn't evil. Now, he was good. He was the only perfect human, and yet we crucified him. But then, even then, even then, Jesus was not to be defeated. The grave could not hold him down. The devil has not won. Satan has lost his sting, for Jesus is alive today. Because he rose from the grave that he was put in by man. Three days later after death, he walked out of the grave, leaving an empty tomb in his path. And after spending time with his disciples, after appearing to hundreds of witnesses, he ascended back to the heavens to be reunited with his Father God. And he gave a promise as he was leaving that he would one day return, that he would one day come to set things right, to make a new heavens and a new earth, and to reunite the children of God to their heavens 
heavenly Father. It'll be on a day that's unknown to us, but certain to him, who is Jesus Christ. He is the all-powerful, all-holy, all-good, all-majestic, all-magnificent Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Lord and Master of the universe and Savior of the world. From his voice, galaxies were flung into existence. By the touch, the lame walked, the blind saw, the dead rose from their graves at the sound of his voice. And from his sacrifice, we have eternal life. And from his resurrection, death, death and Satan has found its destruction. Death has been defeated. Church, your king is alive today. He's taken your sin. He's stepped in your place. He's offered you salvation and hope and love and eternal life. How are you going to respond? By sitting on your hands at church? By being a Sunday morning Christian, living a passive life, letting gospel opportunities continue to pass you by day by day, week by week, and moment by moment? Or are you going to rise to meet the call of your king? Will you hear his commission? Will you go into the nations, go into the world, go into your workplace, your family home, your friend's house, your youth club, your school, and will you tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ because they need it? There is a great many people who are dead in their sins and they need the gospel. That family member that you've given up on today, Jesus hasn't given up on them. That friend who drives you round the bend or is lost, they need to hear about Jesus Christ. Pray for them afresh today. Invite them to church. Share the gospel with them once again. Give them a lifeline. Give them hope. Give them Jesus. As we close, what are we to think of all this? Well, there was once a man who said that the best gift you can give to someone is an introduction to the God who loves them. And I'll mean different things to different people. There are people out there who've never been told the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. They can't answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? Because they've never been told about him. Draw alongside these people. Tell them about the hope that Jesus Christ has brought to your life. Tell them that he is the only way and he is the only one that can give them true joy and eternal security and peace. There have also been people who've been burnt by the church, by a Christianity of some kind. Numerous fallings out, arguments, churches splitting, communities being undone. There is a pandemic of believers who have seemingly lost their way and walked away from the faith. And there's different reasons for this. Too many to list off, perhaps a sense of betrayal at the loss of a loved one, anger against God for that, or a church situation gone wrong, shattering what their view of what the church should be. These people need to be given a reintroduction, maybe even a fresh introduction, and shown the God who loves them and cares for them. Sometimes an invite to a church or a prayer meeting or a Christian event will fall on deaf ears. It's at that point where we as Christians need to truly embody the term Christian. We need to be Christ-like. We need to be there for them. We need to love them, listen to them. We need to invite them to hang out with other Christians to show them that not all of us are weird monks or hateful people. Merge your universes. Invite them and your Christian friends round to the house. Spend time with them. Walk with them. Make an effort to hang out with a non-Christian in your life. 
and try to embody Christ-like characteristics. Folks, now is the time. The world doesn't need to know who the next president is going to be. The world doesn't need to know this week what's going on with the Kardashians. The world doesn't need to know about Love Island or the football results or this and that. The world doesn't need to know such things. The world needs to know about Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus Christ? He's everything and so much more. He's your hope. He is your light in the darkness. He is your true north. He is the eternal word, the true light, the incarnate man. He is your savior, your salvation, and he is your king. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this passage this morning that we have looked at together. We are encouraged by the hope that it brings, by the hope that comes with Jesus Christ, your Son. And Father, we pray that we will be truly burdened with this, that we will have a burden for the lost, for our friends and family. And God, we pray for transformation in their lives. For only you, by your Holy Spirit, can melt those hearts of stone and make them sing for joy. And we know it because you've done it to us, to so many of us already. Thank you, Father God, for Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the guys to come up. Let's respond to this in song as we sing the words of the hymn, His mercy is more. Let's stand and sing together.